0: Fresh is the world. We say fantasero. You say, uh, well, you know, it's that sh. Uh, Ayo. This is for y'all to dance real slow. Cause it's fantastic. Uh, cause it's fantastic. Yo, those are probably the first words that a lot of us in Detroit heard from this group called Slum Village. Batin, T3, and JD. Fantastic. Man. Welcome to episode 17 of Fresh is the Word. I am your host, K Fresh. This is a special edition. I have no guests this week. It's just going to be me. And it's a special, it's a special episode. In tribute, telling my stories, it's not even an informational thing, a historical lesson. It's telling my stories about the late, great J.D., a.k.a. J. Dilla, a.k.a. James Yancey. This week marks not only the 10th anniversary of his album Donuts, but also the 10th anniversary of him passing away. It's really one of the most tragic things in ever in Detroit, one of the most tragic things in hip hop one of the most tragic things in music because he brought so much to music and we can only imagine what he would what he would have done in these past 10 years and for the next 10 20 30 years you know it was crazy so this um, this episode is just me kind of breaking down sort of my life and my existence in music and and how it kind of centered around his music, because to be perfectly honest, like it did, you know, my beginnings in this hip hop shit in Detroit were kind of really centered around the music of JD. It was, it was crazy. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, just tell some stories. I got like a whole stack of records next to me just to kind of remind me of, Certain stories. I didn't know him personally. I wasn't close to him. I've only had a few conversations in my lifetime with him, uh, and I was fine with that. It was it was cool. This episode is more about the music, uh, and it's about working with the music, listening to the music, obtaining the records, because I probably have about I'm gonna give it a figure of ninety percent of his discography on vinyl. I'm not talking about the the original samples or everything. I mean the actual productions and stuff, and the the stuff that he actually worked on when he was alive. So I just grabbed probably the the records that that clearly had more of a story personally to me, and a lot of the stuff that kind of goes on will tie into certain things in my life because not only is this podcast about you know music and wrestling, it's also about it is about me too. I want to Not only do I want to tell the stories of the artists that I'm talking to The people that I'm talking to But I want my I want to bring my own stories out It's very therapeutic for me I'm trying to figure shit out, you know, in life And I've already felt it, you know And so thank you for anybody who's been listening And so hopefully this is going to be a really cool episode I, I believe so Because I got some really funny shit I got some really cool shit Some really nerdy shit, I know <laughs> And um, just some things to kind of reintroduce everybody, the listeners of this podcast, who maybe not know me too well, about why I'm at the place that I'm at, what I've done in the past, you know. So I, I feel like these stories will kind of answer those questions. So to kind of start off, let, let's just kind of go back to like when I first heard the name JD. It's like, I think it's the same time a lot of people in music might have heard I just remember, you know, I'd always listen to or always read stuff like Vibe Magazine, The Source, whatever else magazines were at the time, and like, oh, there's this dude from Detroit that made beats for De La Soul, The Far Side, um, Tribe Called Quest. Oh, man, like, oh, that's cool, man. There's somebody, like, because before that, um, during my teenage years, I was, you know, I was still trying to figure out what was going on in Detroit, but I was... I was too young to go out to stuff like like the whole hip hop shop, rhythm kitchen, cafe mahogany thing it was just a little before my time, but I still went to like the record stores over on the east side, like Record Time, Melodies and Memories, Hot Hits. So I would you know always check the local section. <clears throat> the first stuff that I was ever into in Detroit was stuff like Esham and Nautis, Kid Rock, ICP, House of Crazies. You know, I know that's totally different than this this Dilla shit, Slum Village shit, but that's what got me into that. That's what's planted the seed for me to get into stuff that JD did. You know, so I would always go to the record stores and see what uh, see what tapes were available. Um, I'd buy some stuff. I'd usually just buy the cheapest stuff. Uh, the funniest thing is that I did remember seeing and I picked it up and put it in my hand. The Slum Village Fantastic cassette. But I didn't buy it because it looked weird, man. It was like all these Xerox stickers all over it. And it was like $13.99. I'm like, holy shit, dude. I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy that, you know. Um, but the funny thing was, at the same time, I did buy another tape that I didn't even realize was JD at the time that produced it. But it was the Five Elements, Yesterday's EP. And... I mean to be honest I really didn't care for it at first cuz I really wasn't into that sort of music. I was like hardcore into like West Coast gangster rap, like that sort of vibe, you know? Uh so I really didn't I didn't really didn't like that whole like vibey, boom bap soulful sort of like hip hop, you know? That was that, that really wasn't my style. Uh but what I remember cuz I grew up on the southern side of Warren, Michigan, right off of 8 Mile. I mean, when I say right off of 8 Mile, right off of 8 Mile. And at the end of my street is, was an arcade that pretty much everybody in the Detroit area, especially in the city, knew about. It was called Wizards Arcade. Um, when, when, I remember when I first started going out to hip-hop shit. That's how I would tell people where I lived. I was like, I just live right down the street from Wizards Arcade. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, dude, yeah, okay, bet. I know where you live. Um and i remember a few times seeing i think it was a uh, a jeep i'm i'm assuming it was a jeep and it had the Lysa plate it said uma and i remember you know from reading the reading the magazines that like this jd cat was like a part of the, this thing called the uma and i was like oh that must be that yo that dude man does beats for you know tribe and dela and farside man i'm like oh that's cool you know cuz i had like a when i was a teenager i had a paper out in my in my own neighborhood so, I would see that truck there every once in a while. I'm like, oh, that's cool bet, you know. But I never went into Wizards because I was not allowed. My 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 parents was like... Because there's some shady shit that would go down in there. So, I wasn't allowed to go in there. And my mom had eyes in the whole neighborhood. So, I didn't even try to, you know, press my luck with that shit. Uh, plus, I, I really... I had video games at home. I didn't need to go and spend my money on arcade games. I really wasn't too, like, into going there anyways. Um, but... I remember just seeing that, that, that Jeep there all the time. But then I remember uh, things kind of started, you know, going forward in my senior year of high school. I um I had like a co-op job. Um uh, so that means I only went to school half a day and then like the second half a day I'd go to my part time job. And I was doing uh, tech support uh, for UPS shipping software and I was over at like like seven and a half in Kelly Road over like in Harper Woods. And that was like one of the first times I actually got to like meet people that were actually in the hip hop scene. Like, some of my, so many of my coworkers were going out to the Cafe Mahogany, and Rhythm Kitchen, hip hop shopping or anything. I remember three dudes, and I remember their names: Claire's Day, Gerald Jeter, Shelton Douthard, and Ray Ridgeway. Uh, the, talking with them, like they would, you know, put me on the shit, you know. And one of the one of the things that they put me up on was. Was Slum Village, you know, Slum Village is a uh, fantastic, you know, and and Jeter let me borrow the tape one time, and I, you know, b- you know, borrowed it for a few days, you know, I think I, I might have dubbed it, I can't remember, and I was like, yo, this is kind of cool, you know, like yeah, I'm like, so it was like that was my one of my first things, and, and and talking with them was like the first time I actually got to be able to kind of lock into what the hip hop scene was about in Detroit. And I remember they were they started telling me about this dude, man. You like, oh man, you gotta meet this dude. His name is House Shoes, man. He, uh, man, he's like the blackest white dude you'll ever meet, you know. Okay, and okay, at my time, at that time before I ever met House Shoes, thinking about with that description, I'm thinking it's gonna be some like baggy jean. Fucking white dude with cornrows in his hair, going yo yo yo, what up G Funk? I don't know. That's what was in my mind, you know. That's that's what when you say the black is white dude, man. Like, like that's what white dudes think act like when they think when they trying to act black, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So he's like, yo, you need you need you need you need to uh, meet this dude. I'm like, all right, cool. At the same time, I was already a regular at all the record stores you know, m- buying tapes, I was buying tapes like a multiple. I wasn't buying vinyl yet, I was buying tapes, and it was, it was crazy, man, they all knew me at all the, all the record stores, I'd even, like, because all the record stores weren't that too far away from where I live, so in the summertime, I would walk to them, you know, I would just spend a Saturday, and just walk to them, or whatever, you know, and, because I had a paper out so I had a little bit of money, you know, so I'd go buy some, you know, buy tapes, you know, and I would always, you know, three or four dollar used ones, whatever, you know, get all the local tapes, man, I, I, I still have most of those tapes, man, I had, a, I had a, I have a killer cassette collection, and these days, tapes are kind of coming back in vogue as a little novelty, I need to bring, I, I need to get them out of my closet and kind of clean them up and stuff, because I have some cool tapes, uh, but anyways, I, I was already, I was already going to all these record stores, and then one day, like, uh, I was at Melody's Memories, and when the owner is Gary, he was like, oh yeah, we got, you know, somebody new working here, you know, um. Uh, uh, he goes by the name of House Shoes, and I'm like, yo, I, yo, I heard about this dude, you know, so like, it, it was kind of like an instant thing, like me and like just talking with Shoes, like me and him, like instantly kind of clicked, you know, and before then, like I'd already like, you know, caught up a you know a friendship with another DJ, uh, that worked at uh Melodies and Memories, Jeffrey Woodward. He's like he he spins like UK Garage, you know. But I wasn't into that type of stuff at the time. But he was knowledgeable about a lot of stuff, you know, so I could always talk to him about a lot of shit, you know. But it was, um, but she, how she started working at Melody's Memories. So, uh, me and him just, you know, you know, chopped up, You know, we kind of clicked really quickly, you know. Uh, I was, you know, I'm a, I, was teenage, I was a teenager, super green, you know, super, like, fucking shy, dude. I was super shy, man. Like, shy, I'm still shy and awkward, but... I was just like, ooh, super shy. Man, you, you could ask him, how, how was I when I first met? It was just, it was crazy. And, yo, that was back in the day where you'd go to a record store and, like, there's people knowledgeable about the shit in the store, you know, and you'd be like, and I could go in there I'd be like, okay. And I, was, and I was already starting to buy records before I met him. I, I had a small little record collection. And, and it was the type of thing where he, he, he would he, he'd go, okay, what type of stuff do you like? And then next thing you know, you have a pilot records in your hand, you know? And and I was like, Oh of, of stuff to, of artists you yeah, have no idea who they were, you know, but then you list to them and you're like, Oh, this is the type of shit that I like. All right. So we kind of chopped it up, you know, and that started kind of like like my like, He put me onto J D more because J D was one of his closest friends. Um, I remember if anybody remembers, like there there's this like bootleg vinyl of uh slum village all it says is like slum village tracks produced by jd uma on the side a and then it says slum village instrumentals produced by jd uma on the back it was just like a bootleg vinyl Um, and it had stuff from the you know the fantastic volume one cassette Um, because you know at the time you know i didn't know at the time but they were it was like they were kind of going in flux with record companies and shit like that they're just hum- jumping from one record company to the next to put out that fantastic volume two album. So it was just like, things were, things were coming out, you know, you know, kind of leaking out, you know, I don't know the story about how that record came out. They probably put it out themselves, <clears throat> but, uh, that was like one of the first records he, you know, he put on me. He's like, all right. But every time I used to go on there, he just, he used to bang banging in my head about, you know, you know, JD's productions and stuff, you know? And I, and I, And I caught on to that music really quickly. Um, And at the time, like I said before, the whole like Cafe Mahogany, Rhythm Kitchen, um, hip-hop shop thing was just a little before my time. Just a few years. So I didn't go to any of that stuff. And unlike a lot of my friends, I didn't go out underage. You know, my, my parents weren't about that. You know, they were really kind of strict with me about going out plus I didn't really have anybody else to go out. I, when I was a teenager, I didn't leave the house that much. I wasn't that social. I wasn't I wasn't fucking around town, you know, whatever. I was very shy and just stayed at home and played video games and listened to my like I literally like when I was a teenager, I like like studied music. Like I really just listened to music, read magazines. Like I was literally a hip hop like like student. I didn't go out to do, I didn't go hang out with friends or anything until, I didn't go out to hang out with friends and stuff until I actually got a car. And that was until, like, my senior year. Um, And um, so it was just, like, crazy, like, that um, I kind of came in, after all that, you know, what a lot of people in the hip-hop scene here in Detroit, kind of, like, the golden years... Uh, which also included, like, St. Andrew's Hall. I I started going to St. Andrew's Hall, like, for the Three Floors of Fun, but I didn't go until, like, 98, 99, and that's sort of like the death rattle of its coolness because around that time is when they were starting to kind of change with the times and become a lot more, you know, radio-oriented, mainstream-oriented. You know, they moved house shoes from the house shoes was the main DJ there for a lot of years on the main floor they moved him from the main floor to either the shelter and the shelter was slapping for a while and then up to like the third floor you know they were really the the real hip-hop shit and underground shit whatever was starting to you know get get less and less respect you know and they were starting to transition into this whole other crowd this radio crowd but no I still had a lot of fantastic nights going down there um and and at the time it was like I was I became really good friends with House Shoes and used to always put me on a list for the stuff and everything down there, uh, so um, I think our friendship really clicked really quickly, you know. Um, so that's how I really started going and get into this really this dude named JD, you know. Started just it, it really just locked in really quick. Um, I remember one of the first like shows I ever went down to um in the scene i mean i mean i went to a bunch of concerts like when i was younger my brother would take me out to stuff and i would go down to st andrews but one of the first things i felt like when i was kind of a part of a scene a part of the hip-hop scene was um there was at the wired frog in east point they had this uh benefit for uh bugs of d12 he got killed so it was a benefit show Uh, my boy hush was the one who kind of put it on uh, they raised a lot of money, but that, that night I, I saw, I saw a good chunk of the hip-hop scene that night, and I was like, holy shit, you know, and one of the first people I ever met, who ever really kind of fucked with me, like, was, um, um, One Below, um, I bought, like, a Binary Star CD that night, and he actually really just talked to me that night, like, it was, it was just funny, like, I bought a CD and he just talked to me, and we, we, we instantly kind of clicked too, you know, um, I kinda like met up with like I kind of was aware of people like Paradigm and Denine and Bizarre and I and to, you know, kinda go back a little bit, I'd already known about Eminem before he uh, before he blew up because I just happened to buy like his Infinite and Slim Shady E P cassettes. Um and I was like, Oh shit, dude, this this dude this dude's a white boy, he doesn't have like this crazy gimmick and can really spit. And then I realized that he had all these other guys that kind of and his crew, you know, and I saw them perform that night, and it was, like, crazy, and I'm, like, oh, bet, you know, this is, I'm, like, this is this is what Detroit Hip Hop is right now, you know, so that, that was, that, that show really had, put a mark on me, like, so, uh, that was kind of, like, where the seeds of this whole, like, JD thing with me, you know, kind of were started, and soon after, I don't know what really kind of triggered it, I know at the time um I was like definitely perusing stuff, you know, on the internet in regards to hip hop and Detroit hip hop. I know there was like this website called uh, um it was it was it Detroit Rap or DetroitHipHop.com. My boy Alex Israel was was running it at the time and it had this message board and it was everybody was like on it, dude. It was like all these people were on it, like, talking trash to each other and everything. And then other people were just kind of bonding on there. And, if okay, it, if you can, if anybody knows the track by um, Big Proof called Broken, uh, the second verse that Moo does, he talks about, you know, hide behind an email address, access, we'll find you. Like, that was in reference to, like, like the shit that was happening on like on that message board, man. Because there's people who would talk shit about, like, Detroit rappers, and they would go find the motherfucker. (laughs) So it it was crazy, man. But um, the main thing I was doing at the time was I was really perusing the OK Player message board. I think that was like the main thing. And what was happening, as I was learning more about Detroit hip hop and learning more about JD's music, I also saw that there was a group online that loved his music too. But they didn't know exactly what he produced and what he didn't produce because, when he was a part of, when he was doing a lot of the stuff with Tribe Called Quest, uh, he was a part of this umbrella called Uma with Ali and Q-Tip. So you didn't actually know which ones he produced, you know. So you, you kind of had to do your research to see. Because there's a lot of Uma remixes out there, and not all of them are JD remixes. Which, that's a, bone, that, that's a bone to pick that I have right now in the internet. There's a lot of things labeled as jd remixes that were uma remixes that were things that jd had nothing a part of like like for instance that michael jackson history remix that that was not jd that was i did my research that wasn't jd that was probably you know Ali or tip so um i started just doing my research and i put together a discography (laughs) again I'm, i'm a nerdy motherfucker when it comes to uh I'm nerdy, man, when it comes to like music man like i could i could I could come across a band that I like today, and I will know everything about them within the next week. I'll do my research online and i'll I'll know so much about them you'd think i I'd, I'd been listening to them for years uh, but i I sat down and I started doing my research online um, doing this discography and, and what i how this is how i did the discography, how I did my research. Basically, I went online and I, I researched the words James Yancey, J.D., J. Dilla. Because the J. Dilla name was first starting to come out at that time. He was, uh, he was first starting to use it, but I still used it. Any sort of misspelling of those names, I sort of, I sort of searched online and I even searched Uma also, any sort of keywords, and I'd come up with record stores that would have, sort of remix have uh, the remixes and stuff like that that would come up and everything. But then also I was also like I said I was I was good friends with House Shoes, and he was kind of going back and forth between between uh, Melodies and Memories and Record Time on the on the East Side. So uh, whatever record store he was going to, I was always hanging out there. And he would always come up with, he'd, he'd always kind of inform me of, he's like, yo, there's this uh, one remix by this group called Nine Yards, like, uh, yo, find me the 12-inch, you know? And that's what I'd do. He would tell me about a record, and I would actually go out and find the 12-inches for it online, you know? And a lot of times, I was, I was very successful in finding a lot of those. <laughs> and so, like, I would do my research, and basically, I would, you know, just Google search, Record stores would come up, um, any sort of publishing websites, I'll come up if I can f- um, do do any search on ASCAP or BMI. It would be that type of stuff, you know. If I came up with something that I was kind of if it was like a Uma remix, I would actually ha- ask, ask How Shoes. I'm like, yo, I came up with this like uh, remix. It was like a Michael Jackson remix. Did uh, did you know? Did JD do it? And he was like, oh, and if you didn't know. He would usually, you know, call him that day and ask him, you know, and then get back to me, and, uh, and he, would, he would let me know. And a lot of times, like, if I would tell him that, he would also want me to go find the record for him. So I would actually go out and buy him a record and buy me a record, you know. We'd always, like, every time I was buying, like, uh, all these obscure sort of JD productions, I was always buying me a copy and him a copy. Uh, I remember one, uh, one instance... And I know by now a lot of people know this record. Um, it was this uh, group called Crustation. The song was called Purple. And it had this uh the try a tribe called Quest Edit on it. Uh yeah, she was, was like, um, yo look out look for this this record. It's called Crustation. Uh it's called Purple. Yeah, JD did this shit. It's fucking crazy. So I went and I went to like there's this there's this one record store I I used to always find shit at in the UK whenever I needed to, like, get, like, imports. And a lot and there was a lot of stuff that were just, like, imports. It was called Action Records. I don't know if it's even around anymore. Uh, but I was they, they able... They were the only ones that had this record in stock. So, and it was at a cheap price. And for some reason, at the time, their shipping was even cheaper than everybody else, too. So... I just or He was just like, get me as many copies as you can. So I just put in, like, a big number, and they're, like, 25. I think they had, like, nine left, you know? So they shipped me all... Like, so I bought, like, all nine of them, you know? And I I, I kept, like, three, and I gave, like, Shoes to the, the other six, you know? And that record was cool, man, because I feel like that was, like, this very, like, unique record that JD did, because... That was probably the closest thing that he ever did to like sort of trip hop. Like, I wish he did more. It was a super slow, and you know, Crustacean was kind of on that sort of trip hop vibe to begin with, but he took it to like a whole other place, you know. And this record is already, you know, already crazy because it also had a fucking remix from Mr. Scruff that's bananas. So that, like, later on the road, I was like, damn, like, this was actually like a cool record in general to buy, you know, so, you know, kind of getting back to the discography thing, I was just like, okay, cool, like, I have this discography, so, after a while, I started posting it on OK Player, and it was like, boom, this went crazy, you know, and it, it answered a lot of people's questions, because everybody was kind of arguing about which Uma remixes he did, and what other shit did he do, um, so, we, uh, I decided, I was like, I'm going to do a website around this <laughs> because I wanted to learn how to do a website. I had no sort of knowledge about coding or anything. So I started teaching myself kind of how to do basic coding. And like, and a friend of mine at the time that I was kicking it with, um, who was originally from Detroit, he's out in uh, Cali. His name is Kaji Hunt, like I was like chatting with. He kind of helped me out with... Um, with some of the, you know, just kind of figuring out in a name and figuring out a, um, in doing like helping me with the graphics and stuff, because as much of a, as much of a, how much I lacked in coding, I lacked even worse in graphic design. <laughs> so I, uh, I was like, shit, okay, I I didn't I had no knowledge about any of this. So we eventually like came up with the name Renaissance Soul for this website and it was going to be just an unofficial JD website that's what it was you know so and it was the soup it was super nerdy like I I had this whole discography and I did it I did it in a really in using frames and I had I had every I would like list every version of a 12 inch it would be like a a tribe called quest record like single that he produced but I would, like, list every version of the record because I wanted people to know that there was versions that had acapellas and instrumentals and whatever, you know, or clean edits and whatever. I wanted to know that all, that, all those different versions of the 12-inch were available out there. Again, super nerdy. Um, so, I, you know, I eventually get around to do, uh, doing that. I, and, again, I, my knowledge of doing websites was very low at the time. So, uh, at the time, my, my, my friend Dante, Dante Tucker, he goes by Dante LaSalle right now. He, uh, I, he was somebody else that I kind of met through, like, One Below um, and stuff like that, the hip-hop stuff. Like, he had a website called localhiphop.com, and I was also kind of helping him, like, kind of write little bios and stuff on, on artists on that, you know? And he kind of helped me out by just letting me... You know, put up the website on his server. So, I uh, the first URL for Renaissance Soul was localhiphop.com/jd. Like, I didn't even know how to buy a real domain at the time in, in hosting. <laughs> it was like so. That that was the first iteration of Renaissance Soul. And the thing was, it like we never even at the at the beginning. I never got huge traffic but I got like the, that niche traffic of people I got all like the okay player people and all the it was crazy all the people who actually went to my site dude like people who actually like put out records now who are famous like who are known people like people like anra uh people like uh Nicolay flying lotus ninth wonder um uh you know byron the Aquarius uh uh dude there's all these there's all these people that were hitting up my website and stuff, and it it was, it was a cool little niche thing, and this was, this was my way finally to be a part of the music scene, and it it was cool, you know, it was just, I was just, like, some little white dude, like, just, you know, from just outside the city, who wanted to just be a part of this shit, because I was, like, super excited about it, I'll, I've always, I've been excited since I was, like, 12, you know, when I, when I was first listening to like Esham and ICP and stuff, and I had been to their shows already when I was a teenager. So I really wanted to be into it more. I'm like, dude, I want to be in part of the stuff that's right behind, that's right in my neighbor, right in my area, yo. <clears throat> so that was super, it was super cool, you know? And now that I was finally in the scene, it was cool because those were the days when I was starting to meet pe- more and more people every time I'd gone out. And those were the times when, like, I would go out to, like, spots, hip-hop spots, and I'd be, like, going the only, like, white dudes in the club, you know. And I miss those days, man. Not to bring race or anything into it, but I miss those days, man. It was kind of a cool vibe, you know. And you just really got to know the sort of other side of things, you know. Um, And I always looked younger than what I was. And I remember, like my boy Cobb, you know, rest in peace Cobb. He he would always tell me, he's like, man, I remember when I first used to see you like out in the clubs, man. I always like wondered, like, who let the little white kid into the club, you know? Cause I when I came out, man, I looked like I was probably like twelve years old, man. But I mean, let's be real. When if you see the like, the, if you see the same white dude in the club all the time and everybody's talking to him, he's probably a cool motherfucker, man. That's just I'm I was cool, man. My 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 rep in my rep in the hip hop community was pretty concrete pretty quickly. I was cool with people, you know. But um Swigga Swigga Dr Pepper <laughs> But um that was kind of like when I when I did the Renaissance Soul website Based around JD's music, uh, that was kind of like how how I got my place in the in in the music scene, you know. And it was really cool. And soon after, let's let's see what kind of <coughs> there's certain people that I met right off the you know bank off of this. Um, definitely, I don't even know if you'd even be listening to this podcast or even. I remember someone who was really. Super cool with me about lacing me with Detroit oriented records and JD. records when they came through was Damien Hoynes of Groove Attack out there in out there in Germany. He was so super cool, man. Like I think he might have hit me up. I don't know how we who hit each other up first, but um there were you know there were starting to be j d records and other Detroit records coming through the Groove Attack thing, you know. Um, so he would hit, he, he eventually saw the website and hit me up, whatever I hit him, I don't know. And, uh, he would always keep me, you know, keep me up to date on any sort of Detroit oriented records come through. You know, there was like JD's rough draft and like the other Frank and Dank record that came on on that mummy label that they only put out two records on. There was like amp filler stuff, lax. Stuff like that, man. Uh, remixes. They had Detroiters on it and stuff like that. But he was super cool about, like... It, it was just like I had a, had a nice little group of people who would just always, like, let me know when some, like, JD shit was dropping on their label. Whatever. Um, another person that was cool was D-Smooth, Daryl, from Up Above Records. They're the ones that put out the Fuck the Police 12-inch. Um, I remember uh, soon after uh, getting... um. Like soon after doing the website, uh, House Shoes, you know, gave me Daryl's number. It was like, "Yo, call this dude. He's doing the. Um, he's putting out the fuck the police." And I'd already listened. I'd already heard like a, a really rough. You know, rough version of "Fuck the Police" from House Shoes, um, before it came out. And uh. So we, uh, so I called him up, and he's like, he checked the website. like, "Oh, yo, yo, kid, yo, yo, he talked like that, man. He's like, yo, kids, yo, son, <laughs> yo, this is dope." And, and we like uh. And we we came we came really cool too man he he sent me all the stuff, um, for fuck the police as coming out. Uh, le- he let me kind of like be the first one to kind of put put the information out there on the internet, uh, for you know for fuck the police, and it, it was it was and that was super, super cool man. And I continued to have a relationship with that label, uh, Ratmatic from the Beat Junkies. He also worked there, so he he would always keep me get me in tune with Detroit oriented records that was, you know, coming through uh I'm um, up above. <coughs> and like um that sort of, you know, reminds me of something though. This is this is a point that I really need to make about the whole Renaissance Soul website. Um as humbly as I can put this, I was the first person to really put a lot of Detroit hip hop artists on the internet, put their music on the internet. This is before Social media. This is before MySpace. Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you know. Before, and, dude, at, when I was doing Renaissance Soul, dude, everybody thought that, like, websites were, everybody in the hip-hop scene thought websites were there just to bootleg their music, you know. MP3s were evil, you know. Um, and it was it was so, everybody was like, oh, there's K Fresh in his cute little website. While I had respect in the scene, at the same time, there was a little bit of w- lack, lack of respect Weariness about what i was doing they didn't understand what i was doing i was a little uh, you know i feel like i was a little ahead of the time and i was like the first person to put a lot of fucking cats music on the website you can you know someone like big tone you know told me that like he's like i was the first person to have people outside of detroit hear his music um black milk when i put his uh first stuff from uh sound of the city on the website, that led to it. That led to his uh, Fat Beats record deal because Bill Sharp hit me up and was like, "How can I get in touch with Black Milk?" Um, Danny Brown, I was the first person to put Danny Brown's, you know, stuff, all of his uh, Detroit State of Mind mixtapes and stuff, on Renaissance Soul. Man, I was, I, was, I hit him up with day, I was like, "Yo, I love your music," but we were, we were at Northern Lights, man, and I, we were both at the bar, and I was like, "Yo, I want to just put all your music on the website." He's like, "Go ahead, do it, man. Whatever, man," and. And he, there's even a, there's even a documentary out there, uh, about those early years of Danny Brown's career that he does mention that I was that dude, you know. There's a lot of people that I put their music on the internet first. Once MySpace came around, <laughs> apparently everybody got web savvy, and <laughs> it kind of made my job a little bit harder, you know. But it was good, cause um. Another fact is, when Renaissance Soul came out, there was also another group, whole other groups of uh, of Michigan, Detroit-oriented hip hop websites. There was MichiganHipHop.com. There was uh, Graffiti's Break Brad. Um, I'm gonna forget a-, a few of the other ones, but we had a whole group of like five or six websites that were that were all like Detroit, just Detroit, Michigan hip hop oriented, and. At the time, none of the music websites or the hip hop websites were even covering any Detroit hip hop. If it wasn't Eminem, D12, or Kid Rock, or that—that th- was it, you know. And even when they covered something like Esham and ICP, they were just hating on them. Um, so it was like they weren't covering any any of the shit that we were covering. We forced, we forced the industry, the music media, to give a fuck about. Detroit hip hop. Our little we didn't, we never had a ton of hits to our websites, but we had a we had a, a little niche thing. We forced the hip hops or the music media to give a fuck about Detroit hip hop. And now today, it's two thousand sixteen, and Detroit hip hop is just ingrained into the music media of uh, on the internet and stuff and in print and everywhere, you know. And I feel like we you know, me and graffiti and Dante and Nick Mosologist, um, even Tashir, uh, even, uh, dude, there's probably, there's probably a few others that I'm forgetting. We, we had our little stake in that. We, we kind of got the ball rolling on that. And I, I, that is, that is something I'm, I'm proud of, you know, cause that was, that was my point. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't do this to make, I didn't want to be JD's best buddy or whatever, you know. I like just wanted to I loved the music. And like to be frank, like I I didn't I didn't I only talked to JD probably about a handful of times in his whole life, you know. I didn't I didn't really have a lot of big conversations with him. Um there's a few times I ran into him and he was kind of a dick, you know. And, dude he was a Detroit cat. Sometimes you're a dick, you know, whatever. And sometimes he was cool, man. We had sometimes we had a cool little conversation, you know. But I never had, I never hung out with him or because it wasn't, it wasn't about that, you know. It was about the music, you know. And I, I feel like the universe was trying to tell me that, you know, in hindsight, because it was the funniest thing. Everybody would always tell me like, I would, I would always go out to spots or record stores and everything, and they would always be like, oh, you know, JD was just here. Oh, JD's here all the time. JD, I would never run into that motherfucker, man. And I just like what I felt like there was this weird thing that was just trying to keep him away from me, and I didn't know what it was. But I I feel in hindsight it was just the universe telling me that that it was the music that it was the music that was important. It was the music that brought everybody together. It was the music that inspired people. It was the music that inspired me. That and that. I should have always been and I did focus on the music, you know. And in hindsight, that's what it should be about, you know. So that's where I w- that's why I was never really disappointed about like the one thing I am disappointed in as a music journalist is that I never got to interview him. Um because I was r- cuz um just another sidebar about what I was doing. The the Renaissance Soul website kind of parlayed into other things of writing. I did a little writing on this uh Toronto-based website called the Cyber Crib. I used to do a Detroit report on there, like, every month. And then I went over, I, um... That led to other sort of things in the hip-hop scene. I was doing, um... Online promo for Web Entertainment. That's, you know, the the record label that the Bass Brothers and Joel Martin own that originally signed Eminem. They were uh, putting out an album for King Gordy, and they hired me, uh, briefly to do, uh, some online promo. And from there, uh... The GM for Webb, Scott Guy, he got word that Real Detroit Weekly was looking for a hip hop writer, so uh, he asked me, and I was just like, "Oh shoot, I'll try." You know, I I I I know a lot of shit, <laughs> I'm a pretty good writer. I, I wasn't trying to be a music journalist. I didn't go to school for music journalism, but I uh, I tried and like they 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 brought me on and the uh, my time from my time at Real Detroit from 2003 2006 brought a lot of acclaim to what I w- what I was doing in the scene. I became one of the top music writers in the state, you know. And because I was I was I was very honest about what I I, I was I was genuine. I, I was genuine about what I was doing. It was about the music and everything. I wasn't trying to be cool. I wasn't trying to whatever. And it was just it, it was a great time, you know. I eventually got burnt out on it because Changing times, me. I was getting into other things like DJing. I was starting to come out of my shell a little bit, party, drink a little bit too much. So, you know, and started creatively buttonheads with the editors over at uh, Real Detroit. So, I needed I needed my time away from the, from writing, I, and I took some years off. But kind of, the Renaissance Soul website did. In sort of bring purpose into my life. And that was all around JD's music, you know, and that's what, that's what he did for the scene. You know, his music brought purpose to everything because for the most part, whether it is his own projects or stuff that he was, uh, that he was producing, you always, there's always something coming out. You know, there's always something to look forward to. So it was, it was crazy that, we got to see all this music, you know, we were actually sort of, like, spoiled, I guess, you know, that now that he's gone, that just on a regular basis, we got to see, like, all this, you know, hear all this great music, you know. And, like, what well, was great, dude. He, like, he from what I understood and what I could see, he was, JD was just a regular Detroit motherfucker, man. He was, he had his sort of things that he was OCD about, he was weird about a lot of shit. He, you know, he talked about a lot of, you know, like his raps were about, you know, the same shit that other people rapped about, you know? Um, I, lo- I, think, I love the way I think Qu- Questlove uh, framed it when he talked about Slum Village. Like they were just basically a, a bunch of frat boys, you know? <laughs> the way they just kind of talked about you know, everything, they were kind of like just some frat boys, you know? Um, and that, that was just the magic of that group. So um, I continued on with the you know the whole uh, Renaissance soul, and not only did I do like Detroit hip hop, or I mean JD stuff, but I branched out to people that were kind of influenced by JD and other Detroit hip hop stuff. And um, I remember a time, uh, let's get into the stories about Frank and Dank. Um, that Frank and Dank, those these are like JD's boys, you know Frank's like his cousin or anything. And uh, they started doing music with uh, JD. They put out a couple 12-inches, you know, Love is a Thing in the Past, Me and My Man, stuff like that, you know. And those records were, would act as a demo for, um, to what they would later get a deal with um, MCA Records. Uh, JD would get a deal with MCA Records, and he had... Um, which would kind of be like a label thing too for like McNasty Records, and which also would mean that he would be able to put out Frank and Dink's records, um, which would you know be called Forty Eight Hours. Uh, <laughs> as we all know by this time, none of that shit came out. <laughs> um, well, it came out on MCA, you know. Um, you can, you know, you can. Uh, that that story's been told before. You know why that shit didn't come out. But I want to tell you about the about my personal kind of stories w- along. That subject. Um, I remember when they first kind of got the deal. It'd be funny. You'd see the. You'd see those cats come down to Saint Andrews, all donned up in fucking mink jackets and stuff. It was, that's what all Detroit motherfuckers do, man. When they get a little, they get a little success, man. They stunt, man. We stunt, man. Detroit motherfuckers stunt. They came down there in mink jackets and shit, <laughs> mink coats, and it was like, uh, they 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 were being a little over the top man little little arrogant whatever but so they continue to do all that stuff i remember um i was always talking with this dude online uh he was uh he was related to JD somehow cousin or whatever his name was rod he went his uh aim screen name was little rod and he would, he would always kind of keep me keep me up on some certain certain shit during that time And, um, I think it got to a point when, um, because JD and Frank and Dink, they all knew about me and what I was doing. Um, once the, the whole MCA thing sort of fizzled, um, I think, I think it was Rod that was like, yo, Frank wants to talk with you, you know, um, about helping him out and stuff with some shit. So I was like, all right, cool. You know? So, you know, Frank, uh, we linked up. Frank came by the crib, you know, I was, had this little ass room, a parent's crib just records all around me and shit. <laughs> you could barely walk into that motherfucker. Um, so uh, he comes through and he just like he's like, all right, we kind of it was at this point where the the MCA deal kind of fell through. JD was kind of moving on to some other stuff, which would would be like the Rough Draft EP and stuff like that, and also like um, he was also trying to do Welcome to Detroit too, which. Quick story about that, never happened because there was a lot of Detroit cats that were sweating him about being on it, even threatening him to be on the shit. But that shit was, that shit was supposed to have, like, Miss Corona, O.B. Trice, Marv, um, probably a whole slew of others. But he ended up just kind of scrapping it because he just didn't need to deal with the bullshit. And that, and, and that's, that was some shit about Detroit back then, man. So much bullshit, man. It's, like, everybody wanted to be a part of everything, you know? You can't be a part of everything. Dude, Jesus fucking Christ. But, um, so Frank comes by the crib. and You can kind of tell, like, he has to kind of move on from this MCA thing. Him, Frank, and Dink have to move on and try to figure out what's next, you know? You can kind of actually see a little hurt in his eyes, man, that all this shit kind of fell through. But he knew he just had to keep on moving. So, um, he comes by the crib. He actually gives me a... uh. copy of uh, 48 hours and like that shit was banging because okay during those like early 2000s like during that time 2000 2001 2002 jd was on this vibe i feel like the best way to describe it is okay i'm gonna make beats how everybody else popular is like the neptunes dre whatever but i'm gonna do it better And, uh, that's how, like, a lot of the Frank and Dank stuff, you know, they got the deal off those first two 12 inches, which were a lot more soulful sort of beats, and MC kind of thought they were going to get, like, Slum Village 2.0, you know, but what they got was, like, Frank and Dank, some, with the street album, man, it was street records, man, it was hardcore beats and street shit, you know, <laughs> like hood shit, you know, and it was, it was a fantastic album, man, and... So he, he gives me a copy of the album, and he kind of he kind of wants me just to help him with little shit promoting, like getting in touch with, um, helping him like kind of send shit to like certain labels and stuff like that. Uh, they would eventually kind of link up with uh, with ABB Records and put out uh, the record, you know, take them clothes off, man, which sounds very much like a fucking like Neptune's production. Like <laughs> it's like it's like Jay Dilla doing like a like Jay Dilla doing a a Nettoons production but like, spinning it in his own way, so um, uh, you know I kind of help him with that. Uh, the best part of that whole like scenario is there's this one time um I don't know what year I'm gonna have to say two thousand and two two thousand three. Um I um I actually take a trip with Frank and Dink and a couple of their boys. To Toronto for a show. Uh, they're doing a, a show at this place called. I'm going to say. The like, comfort zone. Yeah that was the name of it. Um, along with. It was uh, Frank and Dink and Fat Cat. Um, and I, I go with them. And we were probably only in, in Toronto. For like a day and a half. Man we were drunk. And high that whole time dude. It was just. Those guys. <clears throat> fuck man. They smoked so much fucking weed, man. Dude, we were. I was so drunk and I was just blown that whole time, man. Being with them, <laughs> it was crazy, man. It was so crazy, but um, it was a fun trip. Uh, and the funny thing is, like, uh, there's a time there we um we all went out to to um this one cat's crib. Um, I believe it was uh the Brass Monk crew. It was that crew, and I think it was Agile's crib. I could be wrong about if it was Agile's crib, but we uh we went we went to the to their their crib for uh so Frank and Dan could um you know drop some vocals for some joints for them um that was cool. I was like half blown out of that at that shit you know but um uh, then we uh when we went to go do the show we went, we went and did the show, but the craziest shit happened while we were at the show um at the hotel that we were at. Um, it was kind of, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you which part of town, part of Toronto it was what cross streets, but you know, when we first got there, we could tell that there was like hookers around, you know? Um, and the funny thing, and the craziest thing was, man, like at, while we we're at the show, we come back and there's like police everywhere by our, by our hotel. And we're like, Oh shit, what the fuck's going on? And we see a couple of the hookers crying. Fucking while we were at the show, man, like their pimp apparently got shot, man. But he, he ran away, man. He left his fucking shoe, man. There's like shell casings, there's blood, and he left his fucking shoe back, you know? And, and so, like, it was fucking crazy, man. This pimp got shot while we were, like, right next door to our hotel while we were at the show. And we come back, and Dank's com- comforting one of the, you know, one of the prostitutes there, uh, you know. She's just upset, crying and everything. He's just trying to calm her down, whatever. So that that was like a really funny part of that of that. And then we, we soon after we just went to bed and went to sleep, whatever. Came back the next day or whatever. Uh, that was a really, 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 really fun trip. Um, and uh, yeah, I continued just to help out with. I I mostly just talked with Frank about it and everything, um, and kind of uh, helped him out with a bunch of shit with um, through the website, just kind of helping him. Uh, get, get in touch with people get send you know send like pictures and stuff I was doing like very kind of publicist work I guess <laughs> in, the, in the long run I was kind of was like publicist sort of like assistant work whatever It was like I, I didn't care it was cool man I had nothing better to do I was just going to college at the time you know whatever I I didn't have much of a life whatever I wasn't going out And that you know, that sort of vibe kind of leads me to another story, um, with Fat Cat. Um, Fat Cat, I'll honestly say, was one of the first people, who understood what the fuck I was doing, in this music scene shit. Like he he understood that like this website shit, this digital shit was the next thing to do. Um, I remember first kind of meeting him through House Shoes. House Shoes put out that um, dedication to the suckers twelve inch. Um, it was produced entirely by JD. I remember when uh, she was kind of, you know, put, put the you know, bug in the ear that was coming out. I was always bugging him every week. I'm like, yo, 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 when's the, when's the dedication, when's the Fat Cat shit coming out? And eventually he did, you know, and that shit, that shit became a Detroit staple, still is, you know. Um, and I would eventually, like, a few years later, would um, start kicking it with Fat Cat. And me and him started, um, I did a website for him, uh, RonnieCash.com. And we actually kind of, like, reissued his, you know, you know, dedication to the suckers, 12-inch, and also this um his group that he originally had with JD First Down, like that 12-inch with some bonus tracks on CD, you know. And um, we sold a lot of those, man. We actually sold a lot of those. We, it was actually really fucking cool, man. Um, and it... That was that was a cool time because it was just like, I also got to to see a lot of the, hear a lot of the shit that um Fat Cat was working on. Um, I was one of the first person to hear Game Over, uh, the the joint that JD and Fat Cat did with Dabry, um, and that, and sort of that kind of led to my relationship with Ghostly. Um, I be, became friends with Dabry Tad Mullenix. And Sam Valente, the fourth, like... and But the thing is, they already knew who I was, you know, from what I was doing on the website. Because those... People like Sam, ha, have they have their ear to the ground all the fucking time. They knows what a lot of... They know everything that's going on. And me and Sam have become quite, you know, good friends. I don't see him. I don't talk to him, see him. But we have huge respect for each other. Um... But kind of you know working with Fat Cat would, uh, was was a cool thing because he understood what I was doing. He understood that that I wasn't trying to bootleg people's music or whatever. You know, just send out MP3s of people shit, whatever. <laughs> but um, kind of messing with Fat Cat and my website um that led to me also working with Barack Records. That was the label that uh Slum Village and Fat Cat was signed with, um. You know, led by R.J. Rice. Um, So I was doing um, web design for them. I did the Brock Records website. Um, That's pretty much all I did. I I did do some. um, I did do a re. I redid the website another time. Did did a few other things for them, but um, I don't really want to get into that story uh, because it really doesn't fit into whatever. But um, kind of, it, it it was just like. A lot of these things that were that centered around JD's music led to other things for me. Um that were you know some of them were good some of them were bad all, they're all learning experiences. But it was it was super cool to just, you know, I'll be a part of all this shit, you know. Um And that also kind of, you know, goes through with um goes through to Stones Throw. Eventually um JD would link up with uh, Throw, you know, link up with Madlib for the Jlib album and that was another thing where I kind of just linked up with um, the people at Stonestrow, mainly Jeff Jank he was like, he did all the art direction for um, Stonestrow he was one of the co-founders of the label and he was super cool about uh, keeping me keeping me in line with um, stuff that was happening um, by that time, you know, 2003, 2004, whatever, I was, you know, I was still doing the Renaissance Soul website, but it was like, there was times when I would take, it would be weeks or months between updates or whatever, or I don't know. I, I just was doing other things, starting to do other things. So, so there was times when I, I wasn't really updating the website as much, but I was still like, I was still doing the, um. But I was still doing updates, whatever, but uh when Jlib started to come out, that really excited me, so I started doing more stuff on the website. Um, Jeff actually, you know, um, hit me up, was like, Can you send me the can you can you send me the, you know, JD discography would we really would want to um put it up on our website now since we're working with JD. And I was like, Okay, that's fine. I don't I don't mind that they kind of like took it over a little bit because I was kind of I was kind of moving on from it just being a JD website with Renaissance Soul um that's, I didn't mind them also but they also always gave me my credit that I was the one that originally put it together and just another sidebar like next like n- the next month March of 2016 does mark 15 years from when I originally launched Renaissance Soul so that's why this podcast is a little bit is really heavy on the website because it's also kind of marks that 15 years um of me doing the shit you know so um they used to always send me uh all the 12 inches that had to do with jd and actually they would just send me like pretty much any 12 inch that i wanted from stone's throw man. i used to get so much shit like it was so cool but um that was that was actually a really cool time um but then that, that was also the time when, you know, you really started kind of seeing, like, J.D.'s health problems, like, become public, you know. Um, when you saw the Herb magazine thing, when he was, like, really big and fat, you know, like, kind of put on some weight, you know. You're like, holy shit, what happened? You know, um, I guess that was, like, from the steroids and stuff, you, for, you know, trying to treat his illness. Uh, because <coughs> looking back, I remember back in... Um, just to rewind a little bit, I remember going up to Melodies and Memories one day. And this is uh after Slum Village's Fantastic Volume 1 came, or volume two came out, and this is before Trinity came out. And and Jay and I, I walk up and shoes is outside smoking a cigarette. He just looks at me, he's like, Yo, Slum Village is over. And I'm like, What? He's like, Slum Village is over. I'm like, What are you talking about? He's like Sigh man like after this tour man jd ain't fucking with him anymore (laughs) and i was just like all right right." but what did i think at that time what had happened was jd had actually come down with you know what he thought was like food poisoning and this is probably about 2001 2002 like so i think it was around that time was when the first indicators of something was going on with his health you know this is like five years before he passed um so, we all kind of you know with the Herb Magazine thing, uh, you, you saw that he was at he was going through some sh- something, you know. Um, so J. would come out and that would, that that would become like a hip hop classic, you know. We all love that shit. Um, and you'd continue to get other sort of like records around it. There's a lot of like little fan club shit, little limited records that uh that Stones Throw would send to me and it was it was super cool at the time, you know, and that that was another time when i was i was still kind of you know transitioning to other things in the music scene like I was writing for real detroit I was covering more of the detroit hip hop scene I was also sort of dipping my toe into the electronic music scene, you know, and like the electronic music scene like i'm very i i I'm very thankful for the, my friends in that scene because they kind of helped me get out of my shell <laughs> it took a lot of jaeger <laughs> and, and beer to get me through that but i got out of my shell i started djing i've been wanting to dj for a long time you know and um i i just started like uh i finally got behind the deck started like learning to uh dj uh one of my first dj gigs was actually at this thing called um uh bandwidth uh it was this monthly um Website that the Detroit Love website would put on. And it was a benefit just to like keep up the server costs for the web hosting service that they would offer for free for people in the uh, music scene. And uh, <laughs> they gave me the early slot, but they also I kind of brought in House Shoes for for that for that gig too. But what had happened was like Shoes never made it because he like was at the crib. He had all his records ready. Sat down on the couch, started smoking, and passed out. Totally missed the gig. And I c- called him, like, a million times. And I'm fucking hammered at the fucking event. Everybody's like, where's house shoes, house shoes? I'm like, uh, I had no idea. The next day, he just totally apologized to me and everybody else. It was like, <laughs> it was like that night was just a, a clusterfuck for me because, like, on the way there, my alternator died in my truck. I had to get, have a friend come pick me up. And then the person who was supposed to drive me home left. So I had to call my other friend who lives all the way in Radford to come pick me up to take me all the way to the East Side and then go back to Radford. So, ugh, dude, it was just it was it was mania it was mania. It was crazy. The funny the funny thing is I have this I have, I have this whole stack of records sitting next to me right now and I've barely talked about any of them. <laughs> and um uh, because I'm looking at them, and I'm like, all right, all right, talk, okay. It's like, I don't want to talk about the same shit that you've heard before. These are all, like, my sort of, like, um, my, my sort of stories, you know. But um, I remember, let's see here. I'm probably just going to have to edit this part out because I have no idea what to talk about next. Oh, yeah, let's talk about SpaceX. There's a couple records that JD did for um, Steve Spe- Steve Spacek. Uh, there's that um, Eve remix that he did, which instantly became like a staple in the in the in the scene. Everybody loved that. And then um, Let the Dollar Circulate, man. Like dollar, like that that shit was another staple that happened. I remember, I remember I was like at the I was at the Buddha Lounge. House Shoes was spinning, and he he played the original. The, the Billy Paul record, and I was like, oh, and I, and I told him, like, yo, Dilla did a joint for that, he's like, what, yeah, I'm like, Benji B played it on his show, um, it's a SpaceX record called Dollar, and he's like, he's like, SpaceX, fuck with it, he's like, yeah, man, and then, like, shortly after that record came out, man, that became, that's still, like, that's still, it's a classic record, it's still, like, a staple to anybody who fucks with Dilla shit, you know, um. Like, another record I remember, like, how she was t- telling me about was, um, it's this record by this, uh, Japanese singer named, uh, Toshi Kubata. It's called Nothing But Your Love. Man, this bangs, man. This is a, it, this is a dope record, man. And, um, that was something that I went and looked at, looked, you know, looked online for. Found a few copies. Um, that shit was, that shit was just a dope record. Um, Another dope collabo On Detroit shit was JD's remix to uh, People Make the World Go Around from Inner Zone Orchestra If you don't know who Inner Zone Orchestra is That's a uh, um, That's a side project That's one of, one of the many monikers And side project of Detroit Techno legend Carl Craig And um, Carl Craig was a big fan of JD's music You know it was Me and him have ta- talked about You know JD stuff a lot, you know, I'm really cool with Carl Craig, and we we talked a lot about JD stuff, um, he did this remix for, um, this Inner Zone Orchestra track called People Make the World Go Round, and it was a real, that, that was a real special record, you know, and, um, and and that was, you know, it was really, it was really kind of cool to sort of see, you know, to, for that record to come out. Um another another very special record in my collection is um the most deaf Can You See the Pride in the Panther J D remix from um of the is off that um the original was off that Tupac Shakur, the rose that grew from concrete album. It was like a poetry album, whatever. And um J D did this fucking amazing remix to the most F joint man. It was only available on the 12 inch man, but it was just bananas, man. And um and then like also here's another great record from the from the collection. Is certified from Gurus Jazz Matez featuring Bilal. Okay, you gotta understand man. Gangstar is one of my favorite not only hip-hop groups, but just music groups, artists of all time. Guru and Premier Premier's one of my favorite producers of all time. So something like this, where Guru's... You got Guru rapping over a JD beat. And probably one of the most ridiculous beats that JD ever did, you know? Like, that was, like, super, like, super cool to me, you know? Um, another Another record that is really kind of personal to me is... The Love Junkie La Remix from DJ Cam featuring Cameo. Um, this is another one of those records that um, kind of came through me through the whole Groove Attack thing. Um, but also DJ Cam was also someone who went to my site. He was super. Um, he was super cool with me. I ne- I don't. I've never met him before. I don't think he ever gets over here to the states much. Um, but he was the first person to ever mention me in like the thank yous in the like inside of the cover of a album on his liquid hip-hop album he like he like put me in the middle of like roy Ayers and Wajid or something like that (laughs) i was like i was like holy shit my name's listed in there because because nobody in detroit hip-hop would put a thank you in their in their thank yous for me but dude from france does It it was crazy man it was crazy um Probably just a few more, like, just special records I want to talk about. Um, what about, you know, just a few things that kind of were kind of special to me in regards to, uh, records. Oh, I I kind of, Nine Yards, Always Find a Way. Um, this was another, like, sort of import that I found. Um, and what was kind of cool about this one is, uh, the JD remix on there, um, it kind of it had the uh, I think it was like the mini uh sample uh, for the beat. Uh, but th- the 12 inch that I have, I actually have the instrumental on there. The, inch, the the version of the 12 inch with the instrumental is super hard to find. Uh, this was like a really cool record. This was something I think how Shoes put me onto, um, and this is actually one of my favorite. And it, it, this was one of those cool like remixes that JD also put like ad libs and a little verse on it himself too, um, which. I don't think there was a lot of those, you know. But whenever like whatever JD remixes that he put ad libs on there too, I think were a little bit more special, you know? I think that's something that we can all like agree upon. That's when you put them little special touches on there, um it made a little a little a little bit more special. And here's another here's another little cool um cool thing there was this uh, this german hip-hop duo afrobe and Sammy deluxe uh this is another thing that kind of came my way through the whole groove attack situation from what i hear and this is uh from what um yg told me because um their album had a bunch of beats from yg and a few um dilla beats um these guys came to detroit with a you know, with a duffel bag full of money, <laughs> basically, and um, they just and they they wanted a bunch of beats, you know, so uh, Wajid sold them some beats, and uh, there's a few you know dilla beats on the 12 inch and on the album. Um, the th- the word word was from uh, um, I think uh, Damien Hoyens uh, told me that they were supposed to also do a whole instrumental version of the album because they had like dilla beats wajid beats i think it had like diamond d beats and had a few other like just like um like classic hip-hop producers you know on there and um they never did the full like instrumental album you know which i was kind of disappointed on but these guys were dope you know um and just a sidebar there was a song called hey do that uh was produced by wajid probably one of the best beats that wajid ever did you know i I kind of wish like a Detroit cat was on that beat, man, because it was. I, w- I wish Guilty was on that beat, cause that shit was fantastic, you know. Um, <laughs> let let's just talk about one more record uh before we start to kind of close out this, um, this podcast, cause uh I really. Does anybody remember the the Slum Village? It's fantastic to bootleg before it, uh before the record came out on uh. On, um, before it came out, uh, commercially on, a, I'm forgetting the name. Good Vibe rec- Records, yeah. There's this uh, bootleg that came out some time before. And it has, like, a, the skyline of New York on the cover. I'm like, it was a really good pressing, like, the actual vinyl, but the, but they used, like, freaking New York as the, the cover photo. I'm like, alright, that is cool. But what was cool about that twelve inch is that it had, it had another version of uh, Weeby them on there. They had like the Atomic Dog sample, uh, that wasn't on the groove. There's a different version on the Groove Attack. Uh, not the Groove Attack, but Good Vibe, uh, pressing. Um. But uh, I think that's about it of my stories. Um. Just to kind of close out this podcast. Um. My, J.D.'s music and a lot of what I did in this music scene was because of J.D.'s music and the kind of purpose that it brought between, for everybody, you know, the DJs and the MCs and everything. Uh, Once he passed, it was like a really dark, 2006 was a really dark time for us because J.D. passed and then soon after Big Proof passed. So it was a really dark, dark time for Just creatively, like it was just numbing, you know. So um, there's probably like a ton of other stories. I I just wanted to tell you my stories and how that linked up with with the Renaissance Soul website, which was a big part of my life um, and something that I do want to celebrate the 15 years. So this kind of pod, this this episode kind of marks that 15 years as of you know of celebrating the 15 years since I launched the website. He's he's sorely missed, you know. And I don't want to get into any of the any of the JD J. Dilla legacy sort of things going on um, with the state or anything. Um, but what I you know, I, I we're at a time now. It's been ten years since he's passed, so we do really need to like celebrate. You know, celebrate his music and what he brought to us. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to an event or buy a T-shirt or whatever, you know. Don't shame anybody that just got into Dilla's music. Educate them. Uh, Don't shame anybody that just only heard donuts and that's how they... Show them another record, you know. Show them Welcome to Detroit. Show them Fantastic Volume 2 show them rough draft you know show them the countless amount of 12 inches that he produced you know show them show them show them that you know educate them um my my personal take on how i enjoy JD's music at this time is like heaven is is kind of in comparison to having a relationship with the bible but never going to church i don't necessarily need to go to the events anymore I don't need to be a part of the business of it I humbly put I did I did so much while he was still alive more than a lot of people did then and a lot a lot more than a lot of people that are around now uh, so I'm not trying to have a competition or anything or anything but I'm just saying that I feel like stuff that I did, stuff that uh some of the fellow other websites did, we propelled Detroit hip hop to uh, into something else. You know, we helped we we're we we're on the we were on the front lines, on the bottom lines. You know, we were kind of out here on the the frills, the edges, you know, sort of propelling it a little bit, you know, we didn't have we didn't we didn't have money and popularity to like give it to the masses, but we just we had it available, and word of mouth brought new people into it, and we we're always ed- I'm still educating people on records that JD produced. You know, if you if you still go to uh, Stones Throw's website, the discography that I originally created is still up there, and it's a and it's all of the works that he did. There's no, nothing, uh, nothing he did after he. None of those projects that were put together after he passed or anything. Um, it's all the stuff that he actually had his hand in producing. Um, so you'll see the stuff that he actually did, and I'm pretty, and I'm pretty, I'm ninety nine percent sure that everything on there is correct. And if you don't, and if there's a, a quote unquote JD remix or Uma remix that you don't see on there. That means he didn't do it because I really did my research about whether he did it or not um, I just you know I just hope that we can continue to really celebrate his music because that's what's all that's what's important you know celebrating his music isn't about rapping over his beats or arguing about whatever you know it's about education um it's about being truthful about what he did and what sort of person he was he 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 was you know he seemed to be just like a a regular detroit cat you know he he ate his food the same way he put on his pants the same way <laughs> you know he's he wasn't he wasn't a superhero or anything but he had like an amazing gift you know he looked at the world and music in a way that none of us could even even think to ever be anywhere close to you know and that's what was so that's what it was so addictive about his music you know and we can only imagine like what he would have done these past ten years you know um, because because all those beat tapes that you hear those were just ideas you know for the most part those were just ideas um in the end they could have been totally other monsters, you know. That was one thing like Fat Cat used to always talk to me and even like the Slum Village cats like Elzai or T three, they would be like We you know, for stuff for like um like Trinity the Trinity album or whatever what other stuff, you know, um, they would pick out some beats, you know, send it back to <laughs> to J D and he would come back and it'd be like this whole other like spaced out thing that was based off the original idea man those were just shells man everything on those beat tapes were just shells but the crazy thing was his beat tapes were were so were EQ'd in such a way where they they sounded like a finished product but those were just ideas man those were just shells you know so it w- the best part of bu- the best lesson that we I think we all can learn is don't try to be like JD his idea was to do always do something different always learn always progress always try to be above something else you know so learn to do, take take your influences take everything that you are a fan of and but learn a different way of doing it man and that doesn't that that just doesn't include music man if you do film if you're if you're a cook, you're, if you're whatever, man, like, be creative. That's When it comes down to it, be creative, you know? A tribute to JD isn't rapping over his beat. A tribute to JD is doing something different. That is what he would want. I don't even know him, and we all know that's what he would want because he always did different stuff, man. He always found new ways of tinkering with his machine or... Whatever to make a sound sound a little bit different. Um, I was even told that he used algebra and math to figure out how to do beats. You know, he used all these different sort of ideals and concepts to make his music. You know, so don't just be, don't, don't, don't just be closeted by stupid limitations that other people or yourself putting into yourself in regards to your arts. dude don't be scared to fail man don't ever like and that's something that i'm starting to learn i just need to like i just sit here i just sit here and talk with you about music for an hour and a half without really stopping you know i would have never been able to do that a few months ago even you know so don't be scared to fail man just be yourself man even, the funny thing is, even if you were, like, you set out to do one thing, and it becomes another thing, that that might be your destiny, you know? You could have been, like, I want to do these beats that sound like JD, but then you come up, you start tinkering, and you hear another sound, and you like that more, and it turns into some other crazy shit, and people like that, you know? That's your destiny, you know? Just embrace. Embrace what comes out of you, you know? And I, I feel like... There's lessons to be learned by the life and the music of JD that are beyond the things that are sort of marketed to you or people are kind of spewing out there these days, you know. It's really just kind of... It's just about embracing being different and being creative. Just do that. And I, I think... Music and everything else would be will be a lot more creative so uh, thank you for letting me ramble on for an hour and a half about my life in terms of the music of j d um I, I hope i didn't bore you um, if you you know if you any feedback please uh hit me up on on Facebook, uh, it's you know Facebook dot com slash Fresh is the podcast. I'm on Twitter as um, Fresh is the podcast one. That's Fresh is the podcast and the number one. Same on Instagram, um, and uh, yeah, just thanks. For, and we also on um, iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Please give you, know, give me a five star rating, leave a comment on both of those. It'll really help out the show. I'm trying to build this show out. We're gonna have a lot of cool guests coming up. I, I'm really excited about, about a lot of the guests coming up because um, I there, there's things that are a lot, lot more personal coming up on these up, upcoming web, um, episodes of Fresh as the Word. And, and and that's where I want want this podcast to go. So, um, again, you know, thanks for listening and see you soon. f is the word.